Hi, everybody. Rico here. And I just wanted to let you know that for this episode of the Dinner Party Download, I am hosting the show solo. Uh, Brendan is out of the office to research a big DPD project, something about a series on post-colonial leisure activities, something. Actually, he didn't give me much info, but I thought it'd be nice for him to say hi to you guys. So I'm just going to call him up here. Yaman. Hello? Oh, oh, Rico. Hey! Was that reggae music? No, no. I was just, what's up? How, how's the show going this week? I didn't know you liked reggae. That doesn't I mean, mean, reggae's fine when you listen to it, which I wasn't. Are you at the beach? What? I am, I'm in a library, man. Yeah, dude. The waves are wicked. <sighs> okay, I'm in Jamaica. You've got to be kidding me right now. Look, Ian Fleming wrote the Bond books here. I'm doing uh, martini research, man. And, and meanwhile, I'm carrying the show myself? Well... You know, fine. I'll bring in a guest host to help me. Dude, chill out. It's not like I've got it easy down here. Brandon, can you pass me that pina colada, please? Oh, sure, baby. Here you go. Whatever. Hello? Lauren Ober, will you guest host the show? Sure. Beam me up to the studio. Hey, Rico. Sweet. Let's do this. Here's your icebreaker. My favorite dad joke is, what's the best time to go to the dentist? Tooth hurdy. I am Rico Galliano. I'm Lauren Ober, sitting in this week for Brendan Francis Newham. Yes. And from APM, American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download. Culture, food, and humor to fuel your weekend conversations. You just got a joke from writer Elena Passarello. That'll break the ice. Her book, Animal Strike Curious Poses, is out now. And yeah, Lauren, thank you for joining me today in Brendan's absence. Obviously, I'm happy to do it. Um, but do I have to use my middle name to fill in for him? Well, you have to, yes, use a middle name, Francis. Ah, right. Yes. Naturally. And for those who don't know Lauren Francis Ober, you helm the <laughs> NPR radio show and podcast The Big Listen out of WAMU in Washington, D.C. That's right. The show where I interview the hosts and creators of great podcasts. Well like, for instance, a news anchor named Katie Cork. Maybe you've heard of her. Oh, yes. In fact, you'll hear my interview with her later in this episode. Lovely. Also on the guest list today, indie pop genius Jens Lechman, as well as Prentice Penny, the showrunner of the Golden Globe-nominated TV hit Insecure. But first, as always, small talk. All week long, you've heard these headlines. North Carolina lawmakers have reached a deal to overturn the state's controversial bathroom law. The Scottish Parliament voted to seek an independence referendum. McDonald's says it's prepared to try non-frozen beef. Now for a story you might not have heard. We are speaking with Rebecca Lair. She is co-host of the wonderful podcast, The Mashup Americans. It's a show about what it means to be American today. Rebecca... What story are you going to be talking about at parties this week? Well, I'm not going to talk about Americans per se. Today I'm going to talk about Swedes. And Swedes... They're fun. Yeah. So there's a Swedish hotel chain that actually is offering divorce refunds. <laughs> what is a divorce refund? Yeah. And second of all, why is a hotel offering it? Well, this hotel believes that if you take more time with your wife, your husband, and you go stay in a hotel, one of their hotels for a weekend, within a year, you will still be married because you have taken that time for yourself. And they are willing to guarantee it. So if, you, if you've mm. broken up within a year, what happens? You can get a refund for your night. Because obviously, when you're divorcing, you're going to be like, oh... I really need that $200 back. From I got to submit my court documents Listen, to this hotel chain. Divorce is expensive. Yeah. I would totally take that refund. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Every little bit helps, I'm sure. Exactly. Okay, I have a question. Please. Could I just get married to somebody, go to the thing, and then get a refund, but it would be like a sham marriage, but just so we could get a free trip? <laughs> It'd be like a green card marriage? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yes, you have to do some proving, like you have to come with your marriage certificate, but... But, you know, you think about your use of time. I think that's something for you you, you and your sham marriage, you and Gerard Depardieu, to uh, consider. It does seem a long way to go for what is the refund with the conversion rate. Yeah. Maybe it's 100. I've gotten married for less, guys. Okay. Uh, Rebecca Lair, thank you so much for the small talk. Thank you. And now let's meet our guest of honor. Yes, and this week it's world-renowned journalist Katie Couric. She's best known from her years as a news anchor for every major TV network and as a former correspondent for 60 Minutes. These days, though, she is Yahoo's global news anchor, and she hosts her own interview podcast. Here's a clip in which she and co-host Brian Goldsmith fielded an idea from Alec Baldwin. I just realized, by the way, that you and I, we could have a show together. We could. It could be on in the morning, like at 7 in the morning. 
Let's do it. Be it. For like two hours from seven to nine. I'm there. And you and I would be the stars. Yeah. We'd like talk to people and you could do some news and I could do like some interviews and stuff. I think we'd that's be on a great in the morning idea. on the network. Yeah. Gee, Katie, what is it like to do a two hour morning show from seven to nine every I day? I don't know. It's hard. When we met, I asked Katie where she got the super bizarre title of her podcast, Katie Couric. I know. What an original name for my how, podcast. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. How did you How did you ever land on that title? You know, I thought on it and thought on it <laughs> about three weeks later. No, you know, we kind of played with some other names, but I think people thought it would be easier to find the podcast if I just called it Katie Couric. <laughs> See, I it's Kate, it's called Katie Couric, but then you have this sidekick, Brian guy. Like, why do you need that guy, you know? Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. Because, well, first of all, I, I heart Brian. Brian Goldsmith's a friend of mine. He's one of the smartest people I know. He's the kind of guy who got grounded in high school for sneaking out of his room to watch C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that tell you mm-hmm. everything you need to know about Brian, Lauren? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's like a geek of the week. He'd be the yeah. guy you'd take with you um, to, like, bar trivia, but he couldn't do any of the pop culture questions. No, exactly, he could only do, exactly. He's yeah. kind of my, if I were George W. Bush, he would be my Carl Rove. <laughs> So I love having him around because he's so smart, and I like being around smart people. They make me feel smarter. Now, you, your Twitter bio is a little menacing because while there are all these likes, you, <laughs> like, you like you like burrata and you like bacon, but there's a dislike. It says dislike, colon, you know who you are, which seems very un-Katie Couric to me. And oh, I'm like, you know, who I mean, does Katie not like? Is it Diane I, Sawyer? Lauren, listen to me. I, I have got to, you know, poke a hole in that America's sweetheart persona. At some point. Being called perky and chipper and spunky, like that has to be Gosh, annoying. Why do I feel like a, a squirrel in a Walt Disney right? movie all of a sudden? Or exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But like in your Today Show years, I mean, those adjectives were thrown around all the time about you. I and found I'm- those words, um, you know, slightly marginalizing because mm-hmm. I think uh, Susan Sarandon said in, in Bull Durham, you know, baby ducks are cute. And right. I think that preclude somebody from being intelligent or have, being substantive or having depth or being empathetic. So I, I found that uh, they're slightly sexist, too. I mean, they Bob Costas is never called perky or chipper, right? That's exactly right. I was just thinking Al Roker was nobody ever called him spunky. And he is, you know? he is much perkier than I am, believe you me. <laughs> so I... I feel like a, a little known fact for our listeners is you started in radio in high school here in Washington, D.C. I did. You Gosh, worked with I Carl forgot. Castle. I was Carl Castle's intern at WAVA All News Radio. Amazing. And then I worked at WASH in their news department. And then I worked at WMAL. Actually, they put me in sales. I think they thought I had a future in sales, Lauren, because of the aforementioned qualities. Yeah. And I remember uh, my dad said, why don't you, you try to get a job at a radio station? And I went through the phone book. And I remember just calling the stations and being like, hi, I'd like to come in for an informational interview. And this was before internships were so kind of widespread. And that's how I got all those jobs working at those radio stations. I know I want. I thought about working for the Washington Post. I think I went there for an interview. I think I probably failed the writing test there. And then I decided, well, television, if my face isn't going to stop a clock, why not try television a little bit? And so I went and, and interviewed with ABC News in Washington. That's actually a very funny story. So Please. my mom drove me in, in our Buick uh, station wagon, this cream-colored <laughs> Buick station wagon, to the ABC uh, News Washington Bureau. And I said, Mom, wait in the car. I'll be right back. <laughs> so I go to the security guard, and I'm like, hi, um, can I get a tour of the newsroom? Stop and, of course, it. they looked at me like I was on crack, which I don't think existed <laughs> back in 1979. But anyway, so I said, can I get a tour? And he's like, uh, no, we don't do that. And I said, okay, well, do you have a phone that I can use, uh, like a house phone? And he pointed to this phone that led up to the newsroom. So I, ca- I get on the phone. I'm like, hi, is Davey Newman there? He was executive producer of World News. So he got on the phone. He's like, Hello? He's kind of an old, uh, kind of a crotchety guy, and I go, "Hey, it's Katie Couric. Um, you don't know me, but my <laughs> sister Kiki went to high school with your cousin Steve no Eddie, and I used to play with your niece Julie Newman because she lived in my neighborhood. Can I come up and say hi?" Stop. And so he's like, "Oh, ah, oh, okay." And he said, "Well, I admire your." Uh, 
I don't know, persistence or I admire your ingenuity. And he ended up taking my resume. It was at the bottom of the pile. And he put it on top because I had sent in my resume. And a couple weeks later, I got the job. But I, I am guessing that, that back then, especially as a woman, in, in wanting to come up in that industry, you had to work a little harder maybe than your male compatriots. Well, I would say that's probably true. I always make a joke that I got into the business when harass was two words instead of one. <laughs> God, it works every time. I've used that line so many times, Lauren. I love it. It's a dad joke. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, you know, I mean, I think, I think women do still have a, a challenging time sometimes in a predominantly male environment. There were some comments here and there, and I had a couple of other situations professionally, but I. You know, I just thought they were jerks and I didn't let them derail me. I just yeah. kind of kept stayed focused on the on on what I wanted to do and how yeah. I was going to get there. Well, so now I feel like with your podcast called Katie Couric, uh, it seems like things have kind of come full circle. You're coming back to the audio medium. Is it fun to do this kind of work without a camera in your face? Like, do you just roll up to the studio in sweatpants? Oh, my God. Are you kidding it's so much fun. Uh, first of all, I mean, I think I'm sure you've experienced this. It's wonderful to be able to have a long for com- long form conversation in this era of mm-hmm. you know 140 character tweets and sound bites and very short interviews. Mm-hmm. There is something very liberating, I think, when people don't have to worry about what they look like. And I'm talking about the guests, and I feel that way too. It's just much more relaxed, much more casual, and as a result, much more intimate. I wonder, you know, you've, you've had this very long, illustrious career. You've interviewed everyone, heads of state, celebrities. You've done breaking news. You ne- you've made these great news documentaries recently. And I wonder at what point did you realize, I am good. I am good at this. This is like, this is what I should be doing. Should I get a couch? And like one of those <laughs> tissues for my hair in case it gets the couch dirty. <laughs> um, I, no, you know, I, like like everyone, I, I never feel I'm sort of there's a little Stuart Smalley in all of us. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Gosh, darn it. People like me. But, you know, I, I, I always feel like there's still so much to learn and understand mm-hmm. and I, I still don't think I'm the greatest or anything. I mean, you're. Pretty great. Like, does has anyone ever said no to a Katie Kirk interview? Oh my God, the list is long. <laughs> really? Who who is who has said no? Oh, a lot of people. I think I got a reputation. I think for toughness, even though I think I'm extremely fair. After right. the Sarah Palin interview, I think some people were a little bit cautious about sitting down with me. And when it comes to establishing your worldview, I was curious what newspapers and magazines did you regularly read before you were tapped for this to stay informed and to understand the I've world? read most of them again with a great appreciation for the press, for the media. But like what coming, ones specifically? I'm curious that you... Um, all of them, any of them that um, have, have been in front of me over all these there are some people who um, sort of have the misimpression that I wanted to have a gotcha moment, which really isn't right. true. Who are there? Do you have a bucket list of interviewees that you're just you got to get? Um, I mean, I, I have interviewed uh, uh, Prince Prince William and Prince Harry. It'd be fun to talk Ooh. to them again. Um, I'd like to interview President Trump if he mm. ever wanted to do that. And I'd like to interview many members of his cabinet. Um, you know, and I always love interviewing authors. I find that authors are the best interviews. Well, um, listen, before we let you go, I, I can't, I would be remiss if I did not ask you if you were listening to podcasts yourself. And if yes. so, can we get some recommendations? Well, I, I drove with my daughter this weekend and we were in the car for a couple of hours. So we listened to Missing Richard Simmons. I'm Dan Taberski. Three years ago to the day. Richard Simmons completely and inexplicably stopped being Richard Simmons. And I want to find out why. This guy named Dan Taberski does it. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to it? Well, yes, but I also know that you had Dan on your I did. Yahoo show. I listened to the Axe Files because I love mm-hmm. David Axelrod. Mm-hmm. WTF. I like Mark Marin too. Pot Save America. I was on that 
podcast. You've been on all of those that you've just mentioned. Oh, I was on I was on Mark <laughs> Marin and Pod Save America. This is me and Katie Couric. Katie, welcome to the show. And you were on Dave. Oh, and yes. I was on the Axe Files. Katie Couric, welcome. No wonder I like these podcasts <laughs> so much, Lauren. Katie Couric talking to me a couple weeks back on the NPR show I host called The Big Listen. It's all about what's new in podcasts. That's right. And that chat was slightly edited for our show. So go hear the whole thing by subscribing to The Big Listen on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, please do. All right. Coming up, funny man, writer and now TV host Prentice Penny says Ryan Seacrest apparently deserves your respect. It's true. And Swedish troubadour Jens Lechman DJs a Middle Eastern dance party. When the dinner party download continues. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download, the show that gives you an edge in your weekend conversations. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Lauren Ober, sitting in for the inimitable Brendan Francis Newnham, mm. who this week has traded the fluorescent lights of the studio for Jamaican sunshine. Which is actually pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Right, is my understanding. Just pop open a ginger beer and it's like identical in here. Sure it is. Uh, in a few minutes, beloved indie popper Jens Lechman spins us a party playlist. And later, we learn about the two cocktail finalists in our Martini Madness showdown. Gin and tonic, go! <clears throat> Manhattans are way better. But first, speaking of morally correct things to say... Are you okay? Nothing. It's time for our <laughs> weekly etiquette lesson. Yes, each week you send us your questions about how to behave. And here to answer them this time around... Is Prentice Penny. He's yes. the showrunner for HBO's Golden Globe-nominated series, Insecure. He also wrote for network comedy shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Scrubs, and Happy Endings. And on his new series, he steps in front of the camera. That's right. It's a show called Upscale with Prentice Penny, where he learns how to live the good life from how to make a perfect burger to how to pick a perfect suit. <laughs> Last week before Brendan skipped town, he and I welcomed Prentice like this. Prentice, thank you for joining us. Thank you, man. We're so happy you're here, but we, we have to say we thought we had the greatest job where we get to talk to smart people and eat good food, <laughs> but you really have the greatest job, right? Yeah. Was the pitch I want to get The pitch is like, up? how do I just do baller stuff? Good job. <laughs> Can I get $8 million to just basically drink champagne? Yeah. Um, we, we have to address the elephant in the room. There's this huge political discussion going on right now about income inequality, haves and have-nots, here you are with the show celebrating upscale living. How does it fit with the times? Well, really, I mean, even more so. I mean, the interesting thing about the show is not about money, right? It's just about sometimes having information and just doing mm. better. So, for example, like I grew up, like a lot of us, we just go to the grocery store, we grab some hamburger meat, go home, make hamburgers. That's, that's kind of it. Or just grab some American cheese and blah, blah, blah. You're done. I had never heard of a Whole Foods like up until 10 years ago. I was like, what's that? <laughs> but you start to learn about like, I could go to like, get a steak from a butcher. That's like a couple of bucks more. But the quality of all that stuff is going to be a million times better. And I learned it had nothing to do with money. Sometimes the prices are comparable. It's like you're already buying a bottle of wine, right? But it's sure. just knowing maybe more about how wine is made and the what fits your palate. It's actually sometimes it helps you on the money side because you're not feeling like you have to spend a bunch of money to get better quality stuff. Sure. I can think of a few other TV showrunners who have made the move in front of the camera. Larry David is one of them. Mm -hmm. Larry Wilmore maybe is another. They're all named Larry for some reason. I'm wondering... Yeah, you're the first non-Larry Prentice. Yeah, well, I'm making it. I'm making it. You're changing the paradigm. Here we go. What maybe surprised you about being on camera? What really surprised me was, you know, you see guys like Mario Lopez and Ryan Seacrest, and you're just like, they seem cheesy. Yeah. Like that, You're just like, that's not a job. <laughs> you're just like, whatever. And when you have to do it... It's hard. It's hard. It, is, it seems like it's yeah. not hard. It's hard. What was the hardest thing for you? The hardest thing was, here was, the, here was the hardest thing that I had to learn. I had to learn to experience the moment. Because I'm used to being on set, and an actor will say a line, and I'm scribbling the note of like, oh, I want to change this, or I have a pitch on this joke right now. And I was talking with people, they'd say something funny or do something, and I was thinking of the bit that I could do or thinking of a response, thinking too much and not experiencing yeah. the thing, you know? 
I just learned to start having conversations, which weirdly in our culture right now, people rarely have conversations. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, now you can empathize with how I was only half listening to you just then. <laughs> I totally get it. I was listening to you, but I was also looking ahead about how we can transition to our etiquette questions. Come on, I'm married. Um, I'm used to that. I'm used to being half listened to. <laughs> All right. So then are you ready for our listeners' questions? I'm ready. There, that was a good segue. Right. That was a good segue. So this first question comes from JR in LA. And the question is, I like the smell of cigars in moderation, but they are so pungent up close. Mm. How much space should a cigar smoker put between him or herself and unsuspecting bystanders, say, at a park? Oof. Yeah. Uh, mm. There's lots of things happening there. First off, it seems like you yeah. don't like cigars, so. Well, he likes the smell of them. <laughs> he likes the smell. Well, that's but, a but tricky not up thing. close. Not up close. So is he smoking them in this situation, or he's saying other people are smoking? I think he's, other people are smoking them nearby. Uh, I would say take your left leg. Take a step, take your right <laughs> leg, take a step, and keep stepping yeah. until you no longer smell the cigars. But I think the question then is, is it his responsibility to do that? He's not the smoker. He's an innocent He's just chilling there. He's just chilling. Wandering through the park. It's, just keep wandering, man. Just keep wandering. I know. Wandering. Park's tough. It's tough. Because I, I, I don't like secondhand smoke, but a park is an area outside. Actually, though, is it, I don't even know. Here in California, are parks off limits to smoking? Could you, you call know, the it's police? Ch- I, don't, I don't know. It's so, everything is, it's changing so fast. I will say, but cigars, let's be honest, cigars are like the tractor trailer of the cigarette kingdom like they're huge they, they are they pollute they are. and you don't you get the sense when you walk behind someone smoking a cigar that they know that they're annoying everyone it mm. feels a little but if i think about how much he spent on that cigar god bless you mm. smoke that thing that thing could have cost 25 dollars. <laughs> isn't that even worse you, you've got this expensive thing and you're just mm. showing off how terrible you can make life for everyone else with he's still it. driving a hummer he's still yeah. driving a hummer yeah it's more like <laughs> it the is hummer. the hummer of the cigarette world exactly That's a good point but you know what you should be able to drive your hummer anywhere you want i agree if, if you pony that thing up and you're paying for the gas certainly in america that seems to be okay so there you go jr i guess this just keep walking man all right here's something from maya in henderson nevada and maya asks my friend always sends me seven little text messages when one big one would do <laughs> That's so real. (laughs) It is, in all caps, so annoying, three exclamation points. I have stopped responding to her, but I think I need a better strategy for letting her know it bugs me. Something better than passive aggression. Maya's tough. I would say your best thing would be send eight little texts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> saying mm-hmm. all the ways sending seven little text is annoying. Yeah. And then one word like in and each one text. Word, one, one word period in each yeah. text. Yeah. You're generating empathy by yes. doing that. Yes. I'll say this though. Sometimes you send short text messages to let people know that you're communicating with them as opposed to taking time to draw up one long text. They're trying to engage you in a conversation rather than just bombarding you with right. info. That's right. But I do think once you get past four texts and the person hasn't responded, it's like Take chill a break. Out. <laughs> chill out. <laughs> chill out. Maybe right. they're doing something. Maya, I think you got your answer. That's etiquette. Uh, here's something from Andy in Chicago, Illinois. Andy writes, I have a coworker who frequently misuses slang terms. <laughs> words like... Oh, this is going to be bad. Words like shade <laughs> oh, and God. even ratchet. How do I even tell her that she's not using these words correctly? Should I sit her down and educate her or just let her continue to do her thing? First of all, I'm going to guess that both of those people are white. <laughs> I'm going to just go out on a limb and say, <laughs> for sure the person saying the terms is white. Yeah. I know that. Yes. I heard this on, on a show. <laughs> I saw Insecure, and I, I watched Atlanta. I saw half of us. I saw 20 minutes of Queen Sugar, and I know something. I'm going to deploy these words now. <laughs> I'm going to drop these things. Stop uh, throwing Venetian blinds on me. <laughs> I mean, Shade. <laughs> No. Isn't that right? So what does, I, that's she do? How it's, what does I, Andy do? You know what? I always feel the best thing is letting them get publicly embarrassed. Okay. So I would find Don't a situation I... in which I would bring around a person of color and just okay. like kind of make, not get them to say it, oh, no. but make them feel comfortable that, that they can say it and then watch them be embarrassed because that's almost the best teach tool. It's like my kids. Like they're only going to learn if they break their arm. If you tell them don't jump off the fence, they're going to not, not listen. You need to let them break their, she needs to get, she might need to get slapped at work. It just might need to happen. It just might need to happen. Isn't that a little cowardly though? You're now going to foist this responsibility <laughs> off this, on your like Rico, friend. this is from a man who breaks his children's limbs to teach them lessons. So I, I, yep. I don't think he's worried about cowardly. I guess we got um, the answer we deserve. Well, Andy, perhaps that answer is too ratchet for you. 
But um, <laughs> let us know. Let us know how it works out. Do not throw shade on our dear program. Prentice, thanks so much for telling our audience how to behave. <laughs> You're welcome, man. Prentice Penny, his new show is called Upscale with Prentice Penny. It airs on True TV, and he also helms the HBO show Insecure, for which star Issa Rae earned a Golden Globe nomination. And, people, if you're confronted with an etiquette dilemma you just can't solve without the help of a famous person, oh, no. email us about it. Seriously, head over to dinnerpartydownload.org and click Contact. All right, we've met our guest of honor, learned some manners, sort of. Now it seems like this party could use some music. And here to DJ is Swedish musician Jens Lekman. He's become a legend in the indie world for his wry, alternately hilarious, and heartbreaking pop tunes. Last year, he challenged himself to write one song a week, some of which evolved into tracks for his new album, Life Will See You Now, his first in five years. Here's Jens with a playlist mailed from the other side of the world. Hi everyone, this is Jens Lekman. About four years ago, I got an email from a fan in Lebanon, and I said, like, send me a list of good bands from Lebanon. And she took this extremely seriously and sent me a whole box of Lebanese and Middle Eastern music. And ever since then, I've been really fascinated with music from Lebanon and from the Middle East. So here's a few tracks from a couple of these regions that I want to play for you at my dinner party. So the first track is a track from Ahmed Fakroun from Benghazi, Libya. And this is a song called Yuma. The repeated word of Yuma, it just sounds so soothing in a way. At the same time, it's got this driving beat. It's like a danceable lullaby. He was inspired by a lot of Europop and French art rock. I think you can hear in this track that this is someone who spent some time in Europe. Maybe picked up a drum machine somewhere and started making tunes that feels in between European music and the music in Libya at the time. I've always been fascinated by how pop music sounds in different parts of the world. Pop music emphasizes what we have in common rather than what sets us apart. For the second song, I put on a track called Oh Mother, The Handsome Man Tortures Me. And this is from a compilation of Iraqi music called Chubi Chubi. I think it's the type of music that was played at weddings during the Saddam regime. I think this title of this song is my favorite title of a song ever. You can just picture someone just being torn to pieces by this handsome man who just sounds so raw and desperate and full of lust. There's a percussion instrument in there called kishpa, which just sounds like a futuristic kick drum. It just hits you really hard. Okay, so now I think the dinner party has evolved into a full dance party. I'm playing a song called Do You, spelled D-O-O-Y-O-O, by Durder Band from Somalia. The group disbanded in the early 1990s. The people who founded the band moved to Ohio I discovered the Dirter Band through the amazing record label Awesome Tapes from Africa. After they got some recognition from that, they reformed. (laughs) 
disco and it's funk and it's soul. What I love about it is that there's no ego really involved in disco music, even though there were quite a few divas. It's not about the singer as it is about just to make people dance. So someone says, why don't you put on one of your tracks, Jens? All right, then. I'll put on this one track. It's called Wedding in Finisterre. And I wrote this because on the side, I support myself as a wedding singer. It's something that I've grown to just love. I've been playing in a tiny bar on top of a mountain, jumping out of a cake with a hundred drunk relatives screaming at me. I've become unstoppable as a performer from playing weddings. <laughs> I was booked for a wedding on the coast of yes, I jumped out of a cake once. One thing though, if you're gonna have someone jump out of a cake, most important thing to remember is to have some sort of oxygen supply within the cake. When I finally came out, I was almost blue in the face. Jens Lechman, his new album is called Life Will See You Now, and he's touring Europe all spring long, so check him out. Yes, do see him live if you can. His shows are just a joyous thing to behold. Uh, coming up, folks, we meet the two finalists of our Martini Madness tournament, and two Broadway pros list some of their favorite true musicals. Trusicals. When the dinner party download returns. I said And folks, we're about to get back to the show, but quickly, we wanted to say thank you so much for being a part of Hashtag Tripod. Mm. That's a campaign we've been touting all month to get you, enlightened podcast listeners, to recommend your favorite podcast to newbies. That's right. Brendan and I have been recommending it on DPD. Lauren, you've been talking it up on your show, The Big Listen, apparently. Uh-huh. And as a result, we've seen a lot of new interest around podcasts. So props to you all for getting the word out. But it's weird. You know, some people think podcasts aren't for them, but I guarantee there is a podcast out there for everyone. Hundreds of them. Yeah. I just visited a senior citizen center. Okay. And you might think it would be hard to get those folks into podcasting, mm-hmm. but they are huge fans. Let me tell you. Really? Do you know what topics they're most intrigued by, Rico? I'm intrigued to know. I'll tell you. Health, history, okay. and S-E-X. <laughs> Really? No, totally true. Also, they love Freakonomics. <laughs> Which kind of sounds like it would be a sex podcast. <laughs> wow. So basically, don't prejudge the podcast audience, I guess, is the takeaway, folks. Mm-hmm. Talk to your parents or your grandparents or your cousins twice removed and recommend a podcast or two or a hundred for them. Yes, please. We need you to spread the gospel oh, yeah. on social media. That word is hashtag tripod, as in T-R-Y pod. Clever. Thanks a million. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Download, the culture show that helps you win your dinner party. I'm Lauren Ober, sitting in this week for Mr. Brendan Francis Newham, And I'm Rico Galliano, sitting in this week for Rico Galliano. Ooh, tough act to follow, oh, dude. I will try to rise to his level of excellence. Later, <laughs> we will hear from the creators of the Broadway hit Come From Away, but first... Time for cocktails. Yes. Usually in the show, Brendan and Rico tell you something that happened this week in history mm-hmm. and then pair it with a fitting boozy beverage. That's right. This week, we're doing something different. Indeed. As regular listeners know, this month on our website, we have been running a bracket we are cheekily calling Martini Madness, in which we've <laughs> pitted classic cocktails against each other and urged you to vote for your favorites. Well, we are now down to the final two. Exciting. On one hand... You have the mighty whiskey-based tipple known as the Manhattan. That's the good part. And it is up against, unbelievably, the gin and tonic. Nightmare. 
What? Total nightmare. It staged a stunning upset over the martini. It's a sacrilege, what you just said. Um, no, you asked people to vote, mm-hmm. and the people have spoken, dude. The people That's are, the way it works. The people are wrong, is how Okay, is nice saying. to meet you, Mr. Authoritarian Dictator. Thank you. But listen, <laughs> over at dinnerpartydownload.org, you can cast your votes right now for the final battle of the boozes. Yes. And we want you to be informed voters. We need that for you. So we each went out and enlisted an expert to champion one of these drinks and explain why it should be crowned king of cocktails. In a second, you'll hear me speak to the cocktail queen, Carrie Ha, and she will defend the Manhattan. Mm-hmm, but first, here's my conversation with Nicole Hassoon. She is the head distiller at Joseph A. Magnus Distillery in Washington, D.C. She also created a line of craft tonics called Chronic Tonic. Uh-huh. So she seemed like maybe she'd be the perfect person to defend the gin and tonic. Best. She's all in. Yeah, even though it should have been the martini. That's enough from you. Uh, when we met at the distillery, Nicole gave me a brief history of the drink. So tonic was a medicine and gin was the chaser for that medicine. Is really how it all started. When uh, the British Army was in India and Southeast Asia, they ran into malaria and had problems with it. And, and the anti-malarial drug, which is still one of the best anti-malarial drugs that we have, was the bark from the cinchona plant. That was ground up and it's really bitter and it's really woody and it tastes, I mean, I like it, but it tastes funky. And so... That's the quinine. That's the quinine. That is exactly what that is. And that's what makes tonic water tonic water. It's anti-malarial. It is a muscle relaxer. It is a pretty wonderful little drug in small doses. <laughs> it's a muscle relaxer. I'm on it right now. Don't worry about it. Nicole's sliding out of her seat. It's like, what's she on? Quinine. Okay, cool. But, it, it, yeah, in order to make it taste better, they took that bark ground it up, mixed it with sugar and lime and lots of gin, and they drank it. And the British Army liked it so much they took it home and it became just like the national drink. A lot of people have a terrible first experience with gin. And I am guessing, you know, people know of a gin and tonic, so maybe they're like, when they first start drinking and they go to a bartender, like, I'll have a gin and tonic, and they sound fancy, and they get some garbage well version, and it totally puts them off. So I want to know what separates a great gin and tonic from just a basic drink. It comes down to quality of everything involved. I mean, I know that you've maybe once or twice had a gin that probably comes out of a plastic bottle on the floor of a, of a bar. No, me never. I'm so classy. Yeah, Get out sorry, of town. never mind. I mean, some of us have. <laughs> and... It's not a high-quality produced spirit. And the same idea goes for tonic. The tonic water that comes out of the gun often is this sugary, sweet, aggressive, fake, bittering agent mixer. When you get that as your first experience of a gin and tonic, it can ruin it for a really, really long time. And if you take the time to make something beautiful, then it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to assume, for the sake of argument... That a gin and tonic is your most favorite beverage. Why is it better than, say, I don't know, a Manhattan? Well, it crushes the Manhattan. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. One, because of ease of creation. It is two ingredients and a lime on ice. You don't even mix it. It also, obviously, is anti-malarial, as we discussed. <laughs> it is a muscle relaxer, as we discussed. And it has the calming effects of that beautiful ethanol that's in that gin. <laughs> it has more flavor than a Manhattan. I mean, I know sweet vermouth is amazing. Trust me, I drink it on the rocks. It's wonderful. <laughs> but gin is like a spice blend, specifically gin and tonic, because it's hitting kind of geographically on the tongue all the points that you want to hit. You get the bitter from the quinine, you get the citrus, you get the sweetness from the, the tonic water itself, and you get these all these other kind of umami flavors from the gin. It's a pretty perfect cocktail, to say the least. There you go, Nicole Hassoon of Joseph A. Magnus Distillery in Washington, D.C. And I'm not convinced. Oh, not come convinced. on. How can, you, how can you resist the beauty of gin, man? I'm it's all, all juniper. I'm all about gin, but a two-ingredient delivery system for medication? That is the king of cocktails? Oh, come on. Listen, I spoke to Carrie Ha about a real contender, the Manhattan. Carrie has been voted one of the best mixologists in Los Angeles, and I met with her on the patio of Alcove Big Bar, where she is bar manager. 
Well, I certainly think it's ironic that I'm in L.A. defending the reputation of a Manhattan. On the other hand, everybody from Manhattan seems to be moving here lately, so maybe it's apropos. I mean, it's the weather. You can't beat this. Who el- what else would you want to drink on a beautiful, like, you know, 70-degree weather on a patio than a beautiful Manhattan? That's true. That makes some sense. So first of all, tell us, for those who don't know, what's in the classic Manhattan? Very typically rye whiskey, some sort of French sweet vermouth and Angostura bitters. And where does it come from? What is the, what's the history behind this drink? So the origin of the Manhattan is a little bit murky. There are two very popular versions of the story. The first being that it was invented at the New York Manhattan Club by a gentleman who was attending a party that Winston Churchill's mother was holding for one of the presidential candidates. Uh-huh. We don't actually think that that's true though because actually at that time she was said to be pregnant in London, so nowhere near New York and not drinking if she was pregnant, hopefully. Yes. Maybe this was a story invented by someone who was drunk on a Manhattan at the time. Perhaps. But regardless, it's a really delicious cocktail that we're really glad uh, came about. What do you, why do you think it's as popular as it is? It's kind of one of those things that I consider almost a gateway into the whiskey world. The sweet vermouth kind of like rounds out those presumably harsh edges of what whiskey is. And it gives it a softness and it's a little bit sweet. You know, it has a beautiful cherry in it. Yeah, it's a little bit like dessert. It's very easy to drink. Is there a kind of person that orders a Manhattan? Who is, who's the Manhattan type? Uh, I hate to be gender specific, but I get a lot of women ordering Manhattans. I mean, a Manhattan is kind of, you know, up in a coupe. So I know a lot of coupe guys. glass, like yeah. a very, it's kind of a rounded martini glass. Sometimes a lot of gentlemen ask me for Manhattan served in a rocks glass because they don't want to like carry that what they call the girly little martini glass. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your least favorite way? People often will order a drink and they want it changed somewhat. What is your least favorite way to serve a Manhattan? Um, probably if anybody asked for it shaken, I just don't really quite understand that. Because it waters it down too much? Way too much. And it kind of gives fluffiness to the drink and froth to the drink that I don't believe like a really sexy, nice Manhattan should have. A really beautiful Manhattan should have clarity, no ice chips in it. Like it's a, to me a very kind of like sexy drink in that yeah, way. It's kind of silky as yeah. a drink. Very much so. All right. We have to talk a little bit about the Manhattan's competitor, the gin and tonic. Is there any world where you could see a gin and tonic beating the Manhattan? I mean, you know what? I'm not going to hate on a gin and tonic. It's such... What? I'm not going to hate on it. It's a very refreshing drink when it's like the dead heat of summer and you just want something cool and you can slam it down. But But it's most associated with a country that we defeated in order to attain our independence. <laughs> I just don't... It beat a martini. I yeah, mean, that, what... I really can't get on board with that. For me, a martini is like one of the most quintessential cocktails of all time. You know, like sometimes chefs say to test the chef, they'll ask them to cook an omelet or an egg. For me, if you can make a beautifully diluted and well-chilled martini, then, you know, you know your stuff. So what do you think that this says about the voting public? I don't know, but it makes me sad. And the Manhattan must certainly win. bar manager of Alcove Big Bar in L.A., defending the Manhattan, which will clearly destroy the gin and tonic and emerge victorious in our martini madness bracket. Whereas I contend the gin and tonic will lay waste oh. to the Manhattan, mm-hmm. just as it did to your beloved martini. Yeah, okay, <laughs> let's talk about this, actually, because it's my understanding, earlier this week, you waged a last-minute mm. anti-martini campaign, yes, that mm. pushed gin and tonic over the top in that matchup. Is that correct? So what if I did? So what if I did? It's a free country. We invited you to guest host our show, and your first move was to sow chaos in our bracket? Okay, what I did is I created some much-needed drama Uh, in your bracket, which is what I did. So you're welcome. People, just do the right thing. Vote at (laughs) dinnerpartydownload.org. And now the guest list in which interesting people list some interesting things. And this week, our guests are Irene Sankoff and David Hine. They wrote the book and music for Come From Away. That's a new Broadway musical based on a true tale that unfolded in the tiny town of Gander, Newfoundland. During the 9-11 attacks, 38 planes bound for New York had to land in Gander instead. So the locals had to take care of thousands of stranded passengers from all around the world. Here are Irene and David to tell us about the show and their list. I'm Irene Sankoff. I am the co-author of the musical Come From Away, which I wrote with my writing partner and life partner, David Hine. Hi, I'm her life partner and writing partner, David Hine. 
Come From Way tells 16,000 true stories. There are 7,000 people on the plains and 9,000 people in the town. And we try to pack them all into a 100-minute musical with 12 actors. And so we're no strangers to drawing on true stories and turning them into musicals. So we have picked three of our favorite musicals, both of the stage and screen, that are inspired by true stories. Caption. My dad and I both grew up in the same small Pennsylvania town, and he was gay, and I was gay, and he killed himself. And I became a lesbian cartoonist. The first item on our list is Fun Home the Musical. Fun Home is not only one of my favorites, but it's also based on a true story which Alison Bechdel created into a graphic novel about her life growing up in Pennsylvania with her family. Welcome to our house on Maple Avenue. See how we polish and we shine. I think one of the things that I love about it is seeing this really specific community that her family runs. They live in this immaculate house that her dad upkeeps. Each aspect of the house is kept beautifully. He wants the real feather duster used on the bookcase. Find all the books we've read and carefully restore. But also, uh, they run a funeral home, so these kids have grown up with caskets all around them. I mean, they're trying to have fun and be kids while they're cleaning caskets and dusting tables and making a commercial for the funeral home. Fun home commercial take seven million billion thousand. Your uncle died. You're feeling low. There's this real sense of growing up and love and family set against this strange backdrop. Come to the fun home. We got Kleenex and your choice of song. Stop by the fun home. Think of Bechtel when you need your inbound. Our second pick is a true life musical that's actually a movie, and it's called The Story of Vernon and Irene Castle. It's an old Fred and Ginger movie, and I was obsessed with Fred and Ginger growing up and all of the old movie musicals. It's based on a true story. It's two entertainers. The character of Irene convinced her partner to leave behind vaudeville and become a dancer with her. You could be a perfectly wonderful dancer if you wanted to. Instead, you waste your talent letting people set fire to you. It takes talent to make people laugh, and I like being set fire to. Well, I won't have you doing it. Oh. You won't. What I like about this one is it's not a usual Hollywood musical for the time period, and it didn't do well because of that, because basically, uh, spoiler alert, the, the character that Fred Astaire plays is killed when he goes off to war. He was a hero, sailor. Oh, Vernon. They remember what he did this afternoon. They remember a lot of things he did. I haven't seen the movie, but I... I love that Irene picked this just because it's about working together. You know, it's coming together to form something stronger. You know, working together as a, a husband and wife writing team has its share of challenges. And we don't we, we don't always recommend it for the faint of heart. But it's also there is nothing better than having someone who you love, who you trust, and who, you know, you're both facing the same things together. And so there's something really wonderful about it. I'll dig out the VHS tape and you can watch it. All right, done. <laughs> We had a really hard time picking this list because there's so many uh, that you can choose from. I mean, Hamilton's obviously, you know, based on a real story and it's amazing. Chicago is based on a real story about a woman named Beulah who killed her lover and then uh, got off scot-free because she pretended that she was pregnant. But I think we're going to go with Sound of Music. I love stories about World War II that aren't actually about World War II, like Sound of Music, you know, like Cabaret, because I think it's an important way to look at things. You know, not to directly go through the horrors of war, but look at what was happening around and how, how the wars broke out. I find that extremely interesting. You are 16, going on 17, baby, it's time to think. In Sound of Music, we're watching this beautiful relationship blossom between Liesel and Rolf, and then... He's totally seduced by the ideals of the Nazi party. You are 16, going on 17, fellows will fall in line. It's actually about a lot of joy set against the backdrop of a horrible event, but it really focuses on the joy. 
And for us, that's one of the reasons why we, we talk about Come From Away as not a 9-11 musical, but as a 9-12 story. It's about how this small community reacted to this larger event. Crystallize on the news that they're looking for blankets and bedding and maybe some food. Do you know what they need and how much? I need something to do because I can't watch the news anymore. Can I help? Is there something I need to do? Something to keep me from thinking of all of those scenes on the tour? I need something to do because I can't watch the news. No, I can't watch the news anymore. In the winter from the water through the wind. If a stranger ends up at your door. David Hine and Irene Sankoff, their hit musical Come From Away is on Broadway right now. All right, and that concludes Dinner Party Download for this week, folks. Aww. Thanks to senior producer Jackson Musker, associate producers James Kim and Krista Ripple, associate digital producer Christina Lopez, engineer Ben Tolliday, and our intern Emerald Douglas. And most of all, thank you, Lauren, for guest hosting. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you, and thanks to the folks at WAMU in Washington, D.C. who helped make it happen. Everyone should check out Lauren's show The Big Listen. It is about the rapidly evolving mm-hmm. podcast universe. Brendan Francis Noonan will be back next week. But before he gets back, I get to steal one more of his lines oh, by yes. saying, now before we leave you, it's time for One for the Road, a song to spin on your way to or returning from this week's dinner parties. This week, the dreamy UK band Slow Dive announced their first album in 22 years. Here's the first single. It's called Sugar for the Pill. Bon appetit. Thanks for attending the Dinner Party Download. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Lauren Ober. And look, Brendan, we can be on the beach, too. It's not just you enjoying the sun. Oh, yeah. We're totally here right now. Oh, yeah. I'm totally sipping fruity drinks right now. So fun. Hey, guys. Don't leave the sound effects machine on. It it wastes energy. Mm -hmm.